Welcome to a special edition of the Emerging Cricket Podcast, uh, one we've called the Dutch Blitz Special. Uh, we've just watched one of the most amazing games of 50-over cricket, or any cricket really, in associate history, probably in ODI cricket history, maybe, maybe in, in all-time cricket history. It, it's a lot to take in. Um, but uh, yes, with me is Emerging Cricket contributor Tom Grunshaw. We've just seen the Netherlands chase down, well... Tie uh, at 374 against the West Indies and then absolutely pummel a super over with Logan Van Baek being the hero of the day. Where, where do we even start with this? Uh, yeah, good evening, Nick. Um, I think we've just about calmed down from the, the adrenaline of that, that finish. That was, that was really quite extraordinary. Yeah, um, to, to set it up, uh, the last round of group game fixtures in the group stages of the World Cup qualifiers. We had West Indies against the Dutch. Both are already through to the Super Sixes, but the result of today's game carried forward. So this game still counted and it was, well, we'll get, we'll get to the significance of it in a bit, but it was, a, it was a thriller without the additional context. Uh, 374 placed 374 and it was settled with a super over, which was won by the Dutch. Logan Van Bake, a, a one-man show at the end. Yeah, extraordinary. Lots of words. Yeah, and I guess two sort of contrasting innings, and we can we can start to get into the uh, the play a bit. But uh, you know, the West Indies, by my count, hit fifty-two boundaries in their innings, and the Dutch hit uh, I think forty or forty-one. Uh, but the Dutch had significantly fewer dot balls, uh, and and the West Indies. Uh, obviously, were were clearing the fence a lot more, and you know we we saw this sort of contrasting approach, and uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily we had a super over instead of uh, determining it on boundary count back. But that's uh, that's a, <laughs> maybe a grievance for another time, um, because you know you you saw this is the way the West Indies play. Uh, Nicholas Poran hit a hundred, uh, absolutely pummeled the Dutch bowling, which uh, you know did look pretty threadbare. The last sort of five overs, I think, went for 60 or so. Uh, but, you know, definitely a, a lot of runs leaking uh, at the death uh, from the Dutch bowlers. Whereas the Dutch kind of uh, started brightly. I think they were about 70-odd in, in the first 10 overs before the first wicket fell. Uh, and then just kind of kept cruising along at that sort of seven, eight, nine runs and over. And, and I mean, it made it look very easy, especially the partnership between uh, Teju Nidamanuru. Uh, the, the, I mean, it's not too often you'll hit 111 off 76 deliveries and uh, be completely overshadowed, but uh, Nidamanura did it. And of course, yeah, Scott Edwards, uh, 67 off 47. The two of them knocking it about is uh, makes it sound uh, like child's play, but I mean, really, they were just finding the gaps. They were running on basically everything. They were always pushing to, you know, you, you heard them calling as they were batting. Basically, every time the 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 ball hit the bat it was uh it was you know push two push two or or you know something along those lines and most of the time they did it and and turning those ones into twos which sounds so basic and and you know obvious when you say it in this way that's what won them the match really that partnership uh, 143 runs uh between the two of them and you know that they they, <laughs> they they were joined at the crease um at 4 for 170 in the 30th over and you know they needed 200 to get uh, at the back end, that's a tough ask, and uh, yeah, they they managed it by playing uh, pretty low risk cricket and <laughs> picking the gaps, running, you know, manipulating the ball through the field, and, and you know, finding the odd boundary. 
And that got them into a position where, yeah, as you allude to, Logan Van Beek uh, blasted them to, well, to a tie and then finally to victory with his uh, super over assault. Yeah, it's actually an interesting point. Uh, first about the boundary count back, but also about the Netherlands comparative score, because I don't think they were ever significantly behind, not by more than mm. a couple of runs or for more than a couple of overs at any point in the chase. They were always ahead of the West Indies comparative score. Uh, but what the West Indies had done is uh, made up for it at the death. Nicholas Puran and Kimo Paul scored, I think, 70 or 80 off the last seven overs, which was obviously perhaps beyond the, the power-hitting capabilities of most, certainly at the associate, associate level. But the Dutch, they were, they were ahead of the game in, in, in that regard. They were you know, running quick, uh, quick ones, twos, threes, always putting pressure on the West Indies fielders and, you know, forcing mistakes and it did slow down the West Indies towards the end who started to look tired which kept the Dutch in the game even though they were chasing you know 10s 11s for death um, they had the pressure on they were never out of it despite chasing 374. Yeah and I mean I you know ye little faith I, I thought they were gone uh, dead and buried when when Nidimanuru and uh, and Edwards both went in in pretty quick succession. Edwards with a really very soft dismissal just absolutely popped it up. And uh, Ross and Chase, who who bowled very well until that uh, <laughs> that penultimate over, which I mean we can maybe uh, get into the tactics later. But um, yeah, I, I think Chase was probably their most effective bowler of of the West Indians uh, because he was able to sort of jam it up, and and they found it a bit harder to uh, to sort of use the pace uh, into the gap and. With the the Takashinga ground, you know, kind of uneven uh, in terms of one side being a lot shorter than the other, uh, the Dutch were very clever at, uh, especially against the pace bowlers, using the pace and on the on the big side, you know, putting it into the gaps, finding finding twos, uh, and even you know even on the on the shorter side, uh, yes, they would they would target that for boundaries, but they did also manage to just through sheer force of uh, quick running and and effective technique running. Even on the short side, they were they were pushing the fielders, and the fielders were making a lot of mistakes. You know, partly because of pressure, I think, partly because of uh, just just basic fitness. Really, you know, a lot of the West Indies guys looked pretty puffed towards the end, and you know, maybe that was that was stress and nerves. But I think a lot of it also was just the fact that I don't know. I mean, especially the franchise guys, uh, they're more used to playing twenty overs. I, I don't know uh, necessarily how much endurance they actually have. I, I know. Uh, several of the the senior guys uh, play a decent amount of Test cricket, so maybe that's not an excuse. I'm not sure, but yeah, they they definitely looked like they were flagging towards the end. Yeah, and as as you say, they they put the Dutch put pressure on the West Indies fielders significantly, um, and just kept the run rate going. And there were an increasing number of fielding errors towards the end. It was it's also I think worth a shout out for Scott Edwards. He wasn't the, the biggest scorer or the fastest scorer in the Dutch side today, but he's made three fifties in, in four games so far. I think three in a row actually, without really having to, you know, break out a significant power game. It's not something that he's, you know, renowned for. He's a, a touch player. He's he's swept and reverse swept and he's hit the gaps and it's representative of the the Dutch innings as a whole, at least up until Logan Van Bake, that they were just running hard and playing smart cricket rather than, you know, relying on a power game to chase 374. Yeah, Edwards, uh, I said this in the main podcast last week. I really like the way he goes about it. I, I think he's 
he's just a smart guy. He always, uh, he, you know, he's, he's always playing the percentages. You know, he, he'll he'll check the field. He'll all, you know, he'll know where the gaps are. He'll just find a way to manipulate it into them, and then he runs like hell and and turns the ones into twos. He's just a really effective. And you know, I think the Netherlands batting, as you sort of allude to reflects that and you know he's a captain shaping the team in his own image in a way you know they they all just sort of scrapped they fight they they always trying to just find that extra run find a you know find it here and there do what was necessary and uh you know it was it was a team effort and yes uh Nidamanuru, uh hit a ton but really it was it was the dutch batting unit as a whole which uh over their super league campaign has not stood up if we're being honest, they they have struggled a lot with the bat, um, but today they 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 put on a show. Yeah, and you go through that batting scorecard. There were contributions from the the entire of the top six. So Vikram Jit Singh thirty seven, Max O'Dowd thirty six, Wesley Baresi twenty seven, Baz Dalela thirty three, uh, and then we had the the century from Nida Manuru sixty from Scott Edwards, and by that time they were you know still very much in the game. Uh, that got them to 313 for five in 44 overs when Scott Edwards was dismissed. So they still got work to do, but the the entire batting order has got them into the position where they can make this kind of heist. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, going back to the, to the fitness point, I, I think that's something that associates are often focusing on and and it's uh something namibia has put a lot of effort into uh fitness is uh, you know here the namibian guys and and you know, a lot of associate players around the, the circuit will say this is that you know fitness and you know running between wickets and fielding and catching you know the the basics really that's stuff that they can control and that's something that they can compete with uh with full members in despite maybe not having the sort of raw talent or the um you know experience in power hitting that someone like a like a Puran has you know <laughs> this Dutch lineup doesn't have a Nicholas Puran equivalent so they need to find a different way of winning and the the way that they did that was by you know everyone contributes and they they all scrap for every run they possibly can and you know they they stay fit and they stay out in the middle and they push the game and they just they don't give up and that's that's an effective uh, an effective strategy and I don't, I don't know I mean it's interesting to think about this game especially in light of the uh, the discussion around the fitness standards with um, you know we saw it with the South African women's team and and um, you know I take the criticism that a lot of the time you know arbitrary number tests for fitness are, are a bit limited and reductive but at the same time if this Dutch group were not very, very fit, uh, th- this victory would not have been possible for them, uh, because this is, you know, this is an area where they they can actually, uh, you know, level the playing field by just being really fit. So I think that's worth keeping in mind, in, especially for a team that is under strength. Uh, they're missing, you know, anywhere up to eight or nine guys who could potentially have been picked uh, are unavailable for various reasons. So, <laughs> I mean, that that doesn't help. But even you know, even if they had a full strength team available, uh, you, you would you know they're not um, the most talented in, in terms of raw raw talent, uh, but you know they make the most of it and and they stick to a game plan which you know sort of maximizes their their percentages and their chances to win. It's it's very smart cricket and uh, like I said, it, it sort of reflects the way that that Scott Edwards plays. Yeah, Edwards being sort of a microcosm. Of, of the Dutch side, or as you say, um, modelling the team in his image. Yeah, I think it's 
interesting what you say about the fitness standards and this is something that's been actually a little bit of a theme in West Indies cricket in in, in recent history as well. Shimran Hetmeyer, who is not at this tournament, I think he decided he didn't want to play more than anything else or has become a bit too much of a liability with the, the West Indies management, has, you know, failed fitness tests in the past. And I know the the West Indies set different fitness standards for every player, but whether or not they're all meeting those, I, I, I wouldn't be able to say, obviously, um, Hep, Hepmeyer is the most recent example of someone who's failed, I think. But if the Dutch are, you know, keeping themselves to that higher standard, that is an advantage on the field in, in situations like this. And not just the fitness, but the kind of mental uh, acuity uh, to you know, have the game awareness of, of just, you know, the, the, the West Indies uh, tactics, which you know, maybe we can get into. They played Roston Chase uh, as their uh, primary spinner. They had him bowl the second last over, the which is often uh, sort of the crucial one in a chase. Uh, pun not intended. Um, the yeah, I I don't think that was the best decision uh, from Shea Hope. I think Shea Hope he looked pretty reactive. Uh, I don't know if that was because he maybe underestimated the Dutch and sort of didn't expect them to get this close. And by the time they sort of realised that oh wait we actually need to win this game, it was kind of too late and and the Dutch had their momentum going. But yeah, I, I, I thought Hope was a bit slow to react. Uh, he, he wasn't really out thinking the Dutch. He just sort of let Edwards and Nidamanuru uh, do what they were doing. And, you know, without... <laughs> you, you, you blink and you miss it and suddenly they've got a 100 partnership up and they're, and they're sort of almost cruising the chase. You know, he, he let the game drift. So I, I think that was... Um, and, you know, we know the West Indies have had... Uh, a lot of sort of turnover with captains and, and whatnot. Um, and certainly Jason Holder was uh, providing a lot of input uh, in team discussions towards the end. But yeah, I, I think the Dutch just outthought the West Indies. I thought they held their nerve better. I, th- I think they were just, you know, the more impressive team on the day. Indeed, I think on the, on the whole. And I think if you start to break down that, that the climax of the Ducks, Dutch innings, so Edwards is out in the 45th over, and then Saki Zulfikar and Teja Niedermanuru are both out to Jason Holder in, in the next over. So this brings together Logan Van Baek and Iron Dutt. And both of them contribute, but Van Baek tees off, particularly in the 49th, which is bowled by Roston Chase. Bowling a spinner in the 49th is, you know, a bit of a taboo thing. Um, and obviously it didn't pay off for them here. I think Chase goes for 21 and brings the the chase down from 30 off 12 balls to 9 off 6. And suddenly the game's gone from very, very unlikely to Netherlands are favourites. Yeah, that, that little passage of play, <laughs> he, he fired it down, uh, you know, he, he tried to sort of push it on the tram lines and, uh, you know, Van Baek very smartly, again, the, the game awareness, he left it and, and he, you know, milked the wide. And, you know, after that... Um, <laughs> Uh, hit a four, a six, and a four, and that really swung the momentum in the, in that back end of the chase. Uh, before that, you know, Van Beek had been, I don't know, biding his time. I mean, they were still going at 12 and over, uh, hitting it into the gaps and, and running twos. So, uh, yeah, he, he waited for his moment, and I guess you could say the, the West Indies blinked. Uh, I think Hope was just being a bit too formulaic, and, you know, you... you <laughs> Uh, oh, yep, I've got to put Joseph on for the last over. So who who do you turn to? Oh, Chase has bowled well. I don't know. I mean, 
if if Chase manages to get out a good over, then you know it looks like a smart decision to go with the guy who's who's bowled effectively throughout the game. But yeah, I, I don't know. So many of these games go down to fine margins. But um, you know, Van Bake just he he used Chase's tactics against him. You know, Chase. Uh, it, throughout the innings had been trying to sort of, yeah, as I said, jam up the batters, you know, not getting much spin, playing the angles and, and making it difficult to hit away. Uh, whereas, you know, Van Bake, uh, the first boundary, he, he sort of just used the pace and, and got it around the corner. Um, and then, yeah, I think that sort of threw off Chase, going for the wide one again. And then <laughs> uh, it's just a nice, juicy slot delivery that goes uh, all the way over, you know, back over the bowler's head. And then, um, you know, going again outside of stump, uh, which, yeah, I don't know. Van, Van Bake is seeing them now uh, way too effectively. Um, <laughs> just absolutely smashes it, uh, you know, through leg. And suddenly, yeah, thing, things have changed around. And then and then Dutt caps the over um, by hitting it back over the bowler's head again. So 21 runs off the, off the penultimate over and then, yeah... Joseph bowls well, takes two wickets in in that last over, but he only had eight runs to play with in, instead of if, for example, Joseph had bowled the 49th over and kept it to eight, then the West Indies need 21 off the last over. That's a lot harder to do. So uh, a bit of a mistake from from Hope uh, in the tactics, and you know the, the the Netherlands really took advantage of that. Yeah. Um... Chase comes into the final over. I think he had th- figures of three for 50 after nine and goes for 21 runs off the last. So th- it ruined his figures a bit for sure. But it did mean that Hope left overs out on the table for uh, Romario Shepard and Kimo Paul, both of which who bowled fairly well. But I think you can see why he's picked Chase. Chase has bowled better, but bowling a spinner in the 49s, especially when they've got runs to get, is high risk. So we get to the start of the final over and it's Joseph to Van Beek, nine needed. And Van Beek starts with a four and then a single and it's down to five from five. Arian Dutt's on strike. He's got 16 off eight and you'd think the Dutch are favourites. And then Dutt sort of loses his head a little bit and skies one, which is taken a, a, a long off, which sort of puts the pressure back on. Yes, it, it looked like he was trying to finish the game with a six. Uh, I mean, he's, what, 2019 maybe? Uh, yeah, so maybe inexperienced, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't love the, the hoik there. That was, I think, a, yeah, that, that was one of the rare moments where the sort of the occasion seemed to get to the Dutch, whereas they, they were very calm and they were very steady for so much of the game. Yeah, for all the talk of smart cricket, that was one where the Dutch were perhaps not playing the percentages and obviously with dot being out uh, it brings a new batter in on strikes that was clayton floyd who manages to get off strike running a bye which of course is the smart move because van bake's been seeing it like a beach ball and he needs to be on strike so it's three off two he gets a two means there's one run off the last ball and just in the most incredible script van bake off the final ball with the field up manages to hit it to Jason Holder, who takes a diving catch. That was a sensational catch. I yeah. thought he'd done it. I thought I'd started celebrating and <laughs> and then, you know, Holder, you know, what, seven feet tall, 
just reaches out the arm and plucks it from the air and and now we're back to the super over and oh yeah that that was a hell of a finish and if he hits at another yard to hold us right he doesn't get there and it's four runs but that was yeah um they say you wouldn't like a write a script like that you would write a script like that that is the exact <laughs> exactly. script that you would write <laughs> because you know you, you 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 want to wrap it up with a tie and a super over which we did uh, 374 apiece and then things get even more crazy. Um, Rambeek's obviously your guy to send back out into the Super Over. He's seeing it like a beach ball. He hit 28 off 14. So that's already a 200 strike rate. And it was a little bit of a strange decision, I think, to go to Jason Holder for the Super Over. I don't really, you know, have him down as a, a great death bowler. No, especially since Joseph had just closed out a very good final over. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And... Holder has a bit of a Ben Stokes moment and has a plan to bowl Yorkers and just misses basically six balls in a row. And Van Bake just swats every single one of them. They all go in the same place. They all go from, you know, mid on to mid wicket and they all hit the boundary. He goes four, six, four, six, six, four. 30 runs in six balls. And yeah, that, that was sort of it really well yeah i mean they they were all uh, <laughs> they were all in the in that arc between uh, sort of long on and uh, you know backwards mid wicket forward square leg and uh, yeah he's just swinging across the line uh, holders just giving him room it's either been kind of full tosses or you know short enough that he can clear his arms and yeah i don't know i mean that's one of the worst overs I've ever seen in the context of the match. Um, I, I mean, I just felt a bit sorry for Holder. I was certainly cheering for the Netherlands, but yeah, I, I like Jason Holder as a cricketer, and that was um, kind of yeah <laughs> a bit sad to watch for him. Yeah, as I say, a bit of a Ben Stokes moment, and being you know English, uh, I can still you know picture Carlos Brathwaite doing the exact same thing you know, seven years ago. But here we are, and th- this time it's, you know, the team I'm supporting who are on the on the right end of it. Yes, and, and then and then ben ba- backs it up with the ball. Yeah, um, they sent out Johnson, Charles, and Shy Hope. Now, I can get Johnson, Charles, but Shy Hope, when you need 31 to win, that seems like you've just sort of run out of, well, hope, or at least ideas. Um, <laughs> Charles gets the first one away for six. And then there's a single. Hope returns a single. And that by that point, if Van Bake doesn't bowl a no ball, the Dutch have won. But, you know, he's he's had a hasn't had a good enough day already. He takes two wickets in two balls. You have two wickets in a super over. So in five balls, the West Indies are eight for two, and the Dutch have won the super over by twenty two runs. Yes. Uh as Burtis tweeted, Burtis de Jong you can play cricket for a thousand years and uh, we'll probably never see a better solo performance in a super over two wickets and 30 runs to the same guy. But yeah, so I mean, this, this was just a remarkable end to a, a spectacular or ODI. I mean, the only one I can really compare it to is, uh, you know, the, the Scotland win against England a few years back where, you know, you thought Scotland had put up a good total and then England come out and absolutely start, you know, walloping it to all parts and you think Scotland are gone and then they fight their way back and, and bowl England out and, you know, they, they sort of beat England at their own game uh, of, you know, put up a, a huge total and and just back your bowlers to defend it. Whereas the Dutch, 
played a very different game to the West Indies, and and they uh, they came out ahead with a you know with a superior game plan. <laughs> I, I I think we should just touch on the bowling here. Yes, you know Takashinga. Um, you, you can exploit that short boundary, and, and yes, the, the pitches at this tournament have been, uh, let's let's just say, uh, friendly to the batters. But, uh, you know, the, the the West Indies bowling, there are some guys there who are very good, but, you know, there are a lot of, I don't know, strugglers, I, I guess you could say, whereas uh, on the Dutch side, it's kind of a whole... Um, a whole bowling lineup of of kind of uh, bits and pieces guys who are all sort of putting it together and, and working as a team, much like with their batting. Um, and yes, they got they got punished, especially by uh, by Poren. And I think that's uh, that's kind of where uh, you know where they really fall down is they don't have uh, the the capacity, they don't have the the speed other than you know maybe Van Bake to really combat someone like like a Poren who's going hard and you know, their, their medium pace does kind of end up looking a bit sort of pop gun. Um, one, uh, you know, why, why did Clayton Floyd only bowl six overs is kind of a, an interesting question, considering, you know, I, I think he had the best economy rate. By a big margin, actually, yeah. Yeah, sorry, where uh, this is <laughs> real-time podcasting. Yeah, none for 26 or six overs. So, I mean, you know, why he didn't bowl more is kind of an interesting question. But the bowling from the Dutch... Uh, Kingmill was good, actually, to be fair. Um, but yeah, the rest of them took a bit of stick. They're missing a lot of bowlers. Um, but yeah, if you look ahead in the tournament, you know, you, you can't really uh, go on and, and expect your batters to dig you out of a hole if you concede 370 every game. No, uh, you, we can talk about the players the Dutch are missing. It is, you know, their first or the bulk of their first choice mm. bowling attack for the for, for the most of it. But they they haven't done worse than the West Indies here, I guess, is is, is the kind of point. Um, at least comparing the two teams on the day, you'd say maybe it was honours even with the ball. Uh, obviously, Poran uh, did get the, the Dutch away, especially at the death, as did Kimo Paul. Uh, they both had very strong strike rates and that, you know, helped the West Indies get to what looked to be a beyond par total. But then the West Indies didn't bowl so great themselves, uh, certainly you should be defending 374. I think had the Dutch won in normal time, it would have been the second highest successful chase in the ODI ever behind that only 430 game between Australia and South Africa. Mm, that's a good point, actually. Um, and, I mean, they could have done it with a, with a couple of balls to spare. If, uh, yes. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I mean, you know, looking looking at that the the bowling lineup and all the players who are missing, that kind of leads into, uh, you know, a bit of uh, you know, reckless speculation about uh, where do you think this is gonna go in the Super Sixes? Because uh, just to briefly explain the Super Six idea uh, to to listeners who might not be familiar with it, the top three teams in each of the groups uh, move forward. Uh, to the Super Sixes, and they play the teams in the other group who come forward. So, uh, in this case, the Netherlands, the West Indies, and Zimbabwe will move forward, and each of those three will play uh, Sri Lanka, Oman, and Scotland. So, in the uh, sort of Super Six phase proper, each team plays three matches against the teams that they haven't played yet. But the uh, for the points table purposes. Uh, it's like the Super Six started early and they've played the teams from their group already. Uh, so points are carried forward and 
Is is net run rate carried forward? I, I'm a bit fuzzy on that one, Tom. I... Yeah, net net run rate is carried forward from the games uh, between the the advancing teams. So the results between Zimbabwe, uh, Netherlands, and West Indies will all carry forward, which is why this game was really important. This is effectively a Super Six game, just in advance of the Super Sixes formally starting. So it's two points on the board for the Dutch after two games, having lost their, their fixture against Zimbabwe. But for the West Indies, they are effectively naught from two to start the Super Six. Yes, exactly. So if you think about it that way, you can sort of see the problem for the West Indies here is that, yes, they're technically still in the competition, but they will need something uh, remarkable to turn it around and, and qualify. Uh, whereas the Dutch have a fighting chance, uh, although they will still need to beat probably Sri Lanka and certainly Scotland and Oman, uh, depending on uh, other ways, uh, you know, how, how other things might fall in terms of who beats who. But, uh, you know, the, the permutations are endless at this stage, um, but pretty much they probably will have to beat Sri Lanka. Yes, um, they'll need at least one more win against, well, especially against Sri Lanka. Uh, and given the way Sri Lanka have started this tournament, that might be as tall an order as chasing 374 against the West Indies. But having chased 374 against the West Indies today, you could say stranger things have happened. Yes. Can can they can they repeat the miracle uh, in the same tournament? I don't know. They 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 always seem to find something in these big events, though, don't they? And and that speaks to the character of the Dutch team that you know after a pretty dismal Super League campaign, if we're being honest. Uh, you know they they showed a lot of promise and they you know they pushed teams every now and then but they n- never really got over the line except once against Zimbabwe and and a couple of times against Ireland you know to turn it around and and produce some, <laughs> something like this in on the biggest stage it, it speaks to the character I think and, and the fact that they are always fighting and you know they relish the chance to actually you know show that they belong you know at this top level and I guess that kind of leads into the next point of this match should have been at the World Cup. Imagine if this, you know, we, we talked a bit about this uh, with Rod last week. You know, imagine if these games were at the World Cup. What a, what a fantastic advertisement for cricket. Yeah, we have another 10-team World Cup. Uh, and I suppose you, you might say at this stage that the qualifier is set to be better than the the main event itself. You could certainly have said similar things about the, the, the 2018 and 2019 tournaments. It is such... A disappointment that we have persisted with this uh, it, it, it's hard to put into words other than thank god this is going to be the last one and we're <laughs> back to a semi-respectable 14 in, in, in four years time because the, the, the quality of the cricket so far in, in, in this tournament and we can talk about lots of other games here the Scotland and Ireland one was uh, a, a, another classic the Zimbabwe West Indies game at the weekend Harare was bouncing it's been fantastic so far and to think that even if you just consider you know the the six teams that are battling out in 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 the super six stage any of these teams would more than hold their own at the world cup today's result is not about the west indies fall as much as it is the rise of everybody else Mm. and so long as the the teams you know from 11 to 16 on on the ladder are closing the gap to teams 9 and 10. The the idea of having a smaller World Cup just seems more and more stupid. Yeah, and 
I think we, at this point, all know 10-team World Cup being uh, a financially motivated uh, product of Giles Clark's cynical imagination. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, we, we don't need to relitigate uh, this argument. But just from a, from a pure cricketing perspective, I, I just can't get over the idea that you're going to have a world event in the World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, where matches like this actually are not part of it. it it's just, you know, wouldn't you want this game <laughs> to be in your tournament? If you're planning a, an event, which, I mean, we can touch on the, the problem with the format and, you know, 10-team uh, big... I mean, okay, 10 teams, we are currently watching a 10-team tournament with a much better format than than the actual World Cup which has 10 teams in a in a in a group stage altogether which is going to produce a, a let's face it pretty tedious competition so you know even even if we have to have 10 teams the actual format itself is dismal because it's been uh, basically just invented to you know maximize TV revenues from certain teams playing each other and it, it just it's I mean, yeah, okay, we 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 <laughs> we're here to talk about the qualifiers, but yeah, it it is just incredibly disappointing that we have to we we can watch this tournament and you know this level of excitement in the cricket, and then we end up with uh you know <laughs> at the end of it we just have a ten team World Cup, which yeah, I mean aside from the final and one of the semi finals at the twenty nineteen event. It, there were a lot of very boring games, and we kind of knew who was going to be in the semi-finals almost halfway through. If England hadn't, you know, hadn't lost that game against Sri Lanka, we basically would have had the semi-finalists locked in halfway through the tournament, you know. And that's what happens with that format. So it's a terrible format. It's bad for the growth of the game, you know. And and okay, if we're talking about bad for the growth of the game. Sorry, sorry to uh, to keep going, but this Netherlands team who've struggled so much through the Super League. The Super League's not even going to be there anymore. So now after, you know, getting into a position where, as we discussed, the basically a second string Netherlands team is able to challenge the West Indies like this because so many of their young players have had experience in the Super League, uh, including against the West Indies. They've, uh, they've improved significantly in that time. We've seen it with guys like Vikram Singh, who looks like he belongs, and uh, you know would have he he yes he got out to maybe not the smartest shot uh, at the top of the order uh, after looking good, but you know he he definitely uh, belongs at international level. You know guys like him, they've had this experience, they've they've played it in the Super League for a couple of years. And now that's being taken away because full members have voted to get rid of the Super League and go back to using rankings. And guess what? The Dutch don't have any matches scheduled for the whole uh, cycle between this upcoming World Cup and the 2027 event uh, against any full members. So what do we expect is going to happen? I don't know. Is is the conspiracy theory of uh, you know the Super League was binned because... Uh, the full members are scared of meritocracy. I mean, you know, seeing the result today, maybe it doesn't sound so stupid. Yeah, I, I, I think the Dutch appear once on the on the next FTP. Uh, I think there's a three-game T20 series against Pakistan sometime next summer before the World Cup, and that's it. Oh uh, yes, yes, you're right. I, Pakistan are actually are actually quite good. Uh, they they do yeah. they do try and give matches to associates. So fair play to them. But you know you can't just rely on the goodwill of occasional full members here and there. There needs to be a, a comprehensive structure. The, the the other thing that we could throw in there is 
how fantastic would it be if we had we were approaching the Super Six now with the Super League still alive and having a battle between Scotland and Netherlands for the thirteenth place in it? Well, yes, that's that's the scenario that would or, or should have happened, uh, according to the Super League as it was originally intended. The lowest ranked team in the Super League has to battle it out with the highest ranked team from the Cricket World Cup League Two, uh, and it was it was always kind of undetermined how that would happen, whether they'd have a separate playoff or whether it would go on who finished higher or or you know head to head in the in the tournament or whatever. But um, between Scotland and Netherlands, who are both playing an amazing tournament and have both had incredible victories over four members in this tournament. Uh, you know, those those two teams would be battling it out to make it into the Super League and have guaranteed fixtures for the next four years against full member, high quality opposition that they can plan their, you know, schedules and summers around, uh, sell for TV revenue, all of that. It's, it's ridiculous that this whole uh, Super League, which existed for one cycle, was cancelled before it was even allowed to show its true worth. It's, it's even worse than the 10-team World Cup. Because the 10-team World Cup is something that comes around once every four years, whereas the Super League was consistent cricket on a regular basis. Yeah, and the uh, it does look like the case of the ICC giving with one hand and, you know, giving us a, a slightly larger World Cup the next time around, but removing the Super League, which was, you know, the redeeming feature of this, you know, four-year cycle in, in, in ODIs. And it didn't get the the, the publicity that it, it needed from the ICC or from the the full member boards. You could see the ECB sort of wanted to have rid of it from from day one. Uh, if you roll your mind back to the Ireland series in 2020, so in in a way, are, are we surprised that we've got here? Probably not. This is this is what the ICC does. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we've uh, somewhat dampened the mood after a. Uh... An amazing day of cricket, but uh, yeah, I mean, matches like this are, you know, that's that's why we watch cricket, and that's that's why we love this sport, even though there are so many problems with it. And you know, congratulations to the Dutch, congratulations to Logan Van Beek for <laughs> the performance of his life. I, I don't know how you can, uh, you know, come come back out on the field for the next game and uh, expect to top that. But uh, um, yeah, one one hell of a an ODI. And, and okay, here's here's another. Here's another little point we can make. People talk about the death of ODIs. ODIs are fine. The problem is there's no context around them. And so what what do we do? We go away from having context with the Super League and back to meaningless uh, bilateral one days. So yeah, it's it's it is very frustrating. But uh, you know we, we shouldn't take anything away from uh, the Dutch on this on this wonderful day for cricket. No, that was a fantastic game of cricket. Uh, it, it kept me very very distracted in the office this afternoon. So. Luckily, luckily, I finished work uh, in time to in time to watch the chase. But uh, yes, thanks uh, to all our listeners who helped us uh, process our emotions. Um, uh, this this is a, a bit of a yeah off the cuff uh, reaction, but uh, yeah, one of the great matches in ODI cricket history. And thanks for joining us as as we talked about it. And uh, we'll hopefully have the regular podcast later on in the week as well. And of course, thanks for joining me, Tom Grunshaw. Thanks for having me on, Nick.